Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining me. Have you ever decided to start a business? Maybe you've started a business. Maybe you're in your one, two, three, maybe your first five years of growing your business. You know what it's like going down that road to growth. Twists and turns, ups and downs, a lot of obstacles that you may have not planned on because you had this great idea, you loved your product, you loved your service, and you ran out there, put a shingle on the door, and started a business. Now, hopefully, you did a little more due diligence than that. But some case, sometimes that's not the case. As a matter of fact, my first business at age 23, my partners were about 20 years older than me. I listened to them. I believed everything they said. And at the end of the day, in and out in eight months. Now, I also do a lot of mentoring at some of the universities. And, and I'm talking to people that have these great ideas and they're thinking about starting a business. Well, if you're that person or you were that person and started the business, you're going to enjoy today's show with Jason Lachlan. He is the founder and the CEO of Cloud Comply. He actually had the idea for a business while he was in business school. Now, Jason's had those ups and downs, twists and turns, and, and the road to growth wasn't necessarily straight. Get some slick times. He's skidding it around, ups and downs, left and right. But at the end of the day, 10 years later, he has a successful business. So we're going to dig into the insights of how did he get the idea? How did he start it? How did he grow it? What were his challenges that he had in growing those and what the milestones did in order to get to where he is today? So this is going to be an interesting conversation. I know you'll benefit from it. I hope you stay tuned. Jason, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I know we've been talking about this for a little bit, and I'm, I'm glad we can get you on the show. I think you're going to have some great insights uh, for my listeners. But before we get going, why don't you tell them about who you are and about uh, your companies? Sure, no problem. Um, Jason Lachlan, I am the CEO and founder of Cloud Comply and Incomply. Um, we are a environmental firm, uh, consulting firm, and software as well. Uh, been uh, we founded the company in 2010, and uh, recently uh, have worked with uh, Angelo. And uh, yeah, that's who we are. Okay, I'm going to dig into a little bit more on that. So you've got two companies. So it's interesting. Um, so Incomply, which is more of your consulting and compliance company, started in 2010. So the chicken or the egg? Which one came first? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, 2010, um, I was I was in school and um, I had this itch to start another business, um, meaning that uh, we we had one that went under with the uh, the whole crash of 08, and so I still had a, a book of business in the um, in the uh, sector, and so um, after the business went under, we I said you know I got to go back to school and figure out how to do this right. Uh, definitely wanted to uh, found a company, wanted to be an entrepreneur, had that spirit for for a long long time since my early twenties. And uh, long story short, I was in school and, uh, you know, I uh, had a client call me and said, Hey, we need a little work done. I said, okay, no problem. And, uh, you know, a week later I was asking my wife if I could start a new company. Um, needless to say, uh, that, that conversation uh, was a little interesting, but uh, ultimately I got her support 
And we started uh, Incomply, which was is a consulting company. Uh, we work with uh, in the building industry and we help them uh, satisfy compliance requirements for EPA standards. And, um, you know, shortly thereafter, um, I had always been a techie and kind of into really wanted to harness the power of cloud technology. So within, a, within about six months, we started a prototype for a piece of software to actually help a lot of the workflows. We had been doing a lot of these inspections and reports um, manually, paper, pencil, Excel, and like most people thought there had to be a better way to do this. And so we uh, ultimately started a prototype to build a piece of cloud-based technology to support a lot of the workflows that we provide for our customers. And so, you know, several years later, we started, we, we basically branched out that software company as its own entity. And now we run those two businesses. You mentioned uh, the business before that. And so was that also in the same space? It was in the same space. Um, yes, it was. And was very correlated to the housing market. And um, as we all know, in 2007, eight, nine, um, you know, that, that basically, uh, you know, got obliterated. So that like crashed <laughs> and burned. To that. I mean, yeah, we had, we had, we, we actually, on a positive side, we landed a really large project and we're unable to get funding to, to uh, support the project um, because the banks had all locked down. We had a good business plan. We had good financials. And so that was kind of the start of our demise was not being able to get supported on the funding side for a very large project that we landed. So it was kind of a, you know, a very positive thing at first and then ultimately ended up being the, the sort of the, uh, our demise. Um, but, you know, I think that's the risk you take as, as an entrepreneur is that there's that, that risk that, you know, something could happen and it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, not like you're working for a company you, know, you can just go get a job. It's, it's, it's interesting. So uh, but, you know, that's the risk you take. And again, I, I think you, it was obviously some dark days for me for a while there as the business went under, but then, you know, I really kind of twisted around and said, hey, you know, I, I need to, let's go back to school, finish my degree. Um, I had, I had, um, I had dropped out of school in order to start the business. And uh, I thought, well, I should probably finish this and figure out how to do everything right. And, you know, it was a great, great experience starting that business as I was going to school and finishing my business degree, because I was able to take a lot of those you know, theories and practices that I was learning in the classroom right back to the business the next day. Um, it was a, it was a kind of a night and weekend program. So I was able to still continue to, 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 you know, run the business and build the business up at the same time. So it was a really good experience overall, as I look back on it now. Well, you know, um, we learn we learn from failure and um, I don't know about you. So my, my first business at, at an early age at 23 uh, in and out at the market that it, it took off like gangbusters and failed miserably eight months later. And it was a, uh, it was an incredible experience and an education that I certainly uh, didn't have in school, right? Some of that practical knowledge. And I, I got some partners and the partners were like 20, 25 years older than me. And they convinced me they knew the market and all they needed was my money. And at the end of the day, the business failed, they got my money. Uh, they didn't steal it, but you know, we lost it in the business, but the education that came from that, that practical education of what it really took to do sales and to do marketing and to, you know, knock on door, to, you know, collect money, all those different things uh, that they didn't necessarily, you know, teach that practical experience of, of knocking on somebody's door <laughs> and asking to get paid. Um, so uh, in, in 2008, 2009, uh, you know, those were some uh, interesting times for myself as well. 
as uh, the company I was working for decided to merge us into the corporate headquarters and suggested we move. And my answer was, no way, I've got little kids. And uh, the next several years was was very interesting trying to start. Nobody could predict, right? We all, as marketers and business people, we look at not only internally, but externally that can influence our business. And nobody could have predicted, at least I couldn't, uh, what was going to happen in those those several years. So it's, it's the ripple effects from that. Um, we see we saw it in COVID where you have this uh, this this extraordinary event that, that occurs that's unexpected, unplanned. And um, it just it, it, it hammered some industries and it, it, it allowed some industries to thrive. And it's I mean, who would have ever been able to predict something like that? I mean, I'm sure big business with all their resources and maybe they have some contingency plan down the road that says, what happens if there's a global pandemic, you know, but, but ultimately, uh, you know, the small business owners, you know, small and medium businesses don't, don't necessarily have the resources to plan that far ahead. So it's, you know, like Russian roulette. It's like, you know, with, with us, when COVID came up, it was like, we had no idea. We were, we were obviously very, very nervous and scared. And um, ultimately the construction industry was, was um, minorly affected in terms of logistics, but ultimately it, you know, it wasn't too affected. So we're, blessed for that. But um, yeah, you, ne- you never know. And it's, it's, um, you know, I'd say going back to your, your comment about the, you know, the education, um, I don't necessarily think you have to fail in order to, to sort of succeed ultimately down the road. I think it's just that experience of, of like you said, running a business for the first time. And, and there's a lot of things you have to do everything at first, and you have to be able to sell, you have to be able to get on the phone, and convince a customer to do business with you that first time. And then you have to you know, service that customer, provide a good service. And there's a lot that goes into the, you know, those two steps there. Yeah. Um, and, and as you scale, obviously, you know, you have to start to bring in staff and, and you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, again, those, those two processes have to be fulfilled. But um, I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, um, you have to fail, but I think it did help, certainly. Uh, I, th- I do think, though, there's some areas where I'm a little jaded from that where I'm, you know, a little nervous for the future. And sometimes you, you kind of get you, 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 those thoughts never leave you uh, of, of that feeling when, you know, your business is going under and you're, you're losing money and whatnot. Like those are scars that are there for life. So I could do without those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I can, I can empathize with that, but I think too, though, and maybe you'll agree or disagree, but it makes you think a little harder because you have that, right. We, we carry these scars that says, okay, um, you know, I know what can happen when things go sideways. So how do I think about that a little bit differently? And that actually leads to me to one of my questions, because you're running currently two businesses at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how much time do you spend on your business thinking about the strategies and the growth versus the day-to-day in it, do you find? That's a great question. Um, I would say, um, you know, I'd say a, a large percentage of my time is, is, is on the business in terms of strategy. Um, now that hasn't been the case. Um, that that takes a while to get to that point. Um, I think that's a metamorphosis as an entrepreneur is is learning to ultimately you know trust in your staff and um, you know hire people that match your values and share the values of the company and and you know again building that culture that um, ultimately um, satisfies sort of the business goals. But um, yeah, I, I would say that um, I, I'm pretty. I have a fantastic staff that um, <clears throat> really handles a lot of the, um, you know, most of the um, the functional aspects of the business. Um, and now my time is mostly spent, you know, just working on, uh, you know, supporting the staff. Um, you know, we do, we just started 
uh, leadership training program for all of our managers. So we have um, quarterly leadership program uh, meetings where we uh, bring the staff and all the managers in and we go over different topics and then we incorporate that into our day-to-day. Um, so, so my time is really spent a lot more on strategic and, and, you know, working on the business, like you said, um, not too much. I mean, when there's problems that come up, uh, the staff obviously would typically would, you know, they'll bring me in for my opinion and to help them make a decision on things. But ultimately I support, you know, what they're doing and, and when, when they make those decisions. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably 95% of my time is spent on the business versus working in it functionally. Well, that's great. I mean, it sounds like you're building a good infrastructure with your people, laying the foundation for them to really to to make those decisions that they need to make to to keep the business going forward, so you can think about the future. I think that's a, you know that's a that's a that's a that's a definitely an evolution. At least for me, it took a long time to get to that point where you you, you can build that trust in your staff. I, I I was lucky enough to have a couple core foundational employees that have been with me since the beginning. And, you know, that's an interesting journey as well as as the business grows, you know, um, those those people started off doing things a lot differently than what they're doing now. And so, so we all have to kind of grow together. Right. Because now we have, you know, 20, 26, 27 employees versus two. And so there's a lot, you know, those those myself and those core employees that started with me um, in the beginning, you know, we've grown together into now leadership roles and. Now we are, you know, ultimately um, managing others and, and helping them succeed and, and grow and whatnot. So it's uh, that that's an interesting journey as well is is going from doing everything to doing nothing. Yeah. Well, I won't say you're doing nothing, right? <laughs> from a functional <laughs> standpoint. The functional stuff. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about kind of an as a as an entrepreneur and and, and a business owner and growing a business. I mean, finding the right employees is is always a challenge right not not only from a can they do the position but it's about culture as well and making sure that you could have a somebody who's you know great at what they do and the right person and culturally they don't fit at all which ends up being disruptive and those kinds of things so how do you how do you go about determining the right employees uh, for your business yeah that's a great question and, and actually that happens to be the topic for our leadership uh, you know, discussions this year is organizational culture. I think that's everything. I mean, that, that again, that's a, a, again, an evolution as a business owner and as an entrepreneur leader is that, you know, culture is everything. Um, you, you, prior to that, it was like, you know, I think a very, in the very beginning, it was like, I just want to find someone that can do this job and hopefully I can, you know, get a good deal on their, on their salary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 10 years later now today, it's, it's a whole different animal or a whole different perspective when, when you're bringing someone on, it's really mainly about cultural fit. Uh, you know, we have our, our corporate values, um, that, um, that are with us and have been with us for 10 years. And so it's really about, you know, bringing people on that, that match those, you know, those values. I mean, we happen to be, uh, extra mile service. So, you know, customer service is really important for us. Um, having that, you know, we need to find employees that have that heart for customer service, um, innovation. Um, you know, we have a, a work-life balance and then integrity. So those are, those are our four core values. And so just finding, you know, team members that match that. And, and that's difficult, you know, because um, the hiring um, climate right now is obviously challenging with with COVID and the great, I guess they call it the great resignation, I think is what yeah. it is. Um, and so it, it's challenging to find good people. And so 
it's even harder, you know, now more than ever. So, um, but yeah, I think that's really kind of the, the, the goal is to, to find, um, you know, staff that really just match up with, with those, with those values. And, you know, you may be a little off with one of them, but, but ultimately, you know, it, it's still a good fit. So, you know, and then that, then you have a focal point, right. If someone maybe hasn't had a lot of customer experience, customer service experience, you know, you can certainly, um, you can certainly train for that. Uh, but really it's about, you know, hiring for attitude and then training for aptitude. So it's more, um, you know, I think the attitude is, is the key, key component when hiring new staff. What do you think has been the biggest challenge in, in growing your business? Oh, it's a great question. Um, I think that um, those challenges have, again, um, sort of changed over the years. Um, in the beginning, it was got to get a customer. And, um, you know, once once that was, you know, once that was uh, sort of established, then it was, okay, now we need to service, you know, at scale, these customers, um, okay, now we have, you know, double the customers. Now, how do we, how do we, again, I think it's always this balance of, you know, sort of quality versus quantity. Um, I'm always balancing how much growth versus are we able to service, you know, that amount of customers. And so I think that's really, I'd say the biggest challenge is matching up the quality with, with the uh, sort of the, the, uh, the growth that comes in. So, um, you know, there's been times where we've grown too fast and we weren't able to, to service our customers at the level that we expect. And then there's times where maybe we focus a little too heavily on, you know, quality control and, um, and maybe let growth sort of subside a little bit. And then, you know, then we got to kind of, you know, push on the gas pedal in terms of trying to get new customers in. So I think it's that for me, it's that balance of, um, you know, and obviously the sweet spot would be being able to sort of, you know, concurrently grow and scale your customer service at the same time. But I think that's probably the biggest challenge over the years has been matching those two. Okay. You, you mentioned something that uh, I, I, I talk to my guests a lot about, and that's the elusive work life balance. And that's one of your core, <laughs> core uh, competencies or your core, uh, uh, missions here how, how do you how do you and your you directing your staff how do you how do you get get there and, yeah and, that's, and have you got there <laughs> I, I would say I would say yes I think that um that's that's one area where I think our staff has been really you know um sort of successful in in, in implementing at least the uh, sort of the vision for that um I think um just it's a core belief of mine that there needs to be a balance um I have worked the 80 hour weeks or whatnot, you know, I don't know if it, actually 80 hours is kind of extreme. I don't know if anybody actually works 80 hours, but um, I've, I've put in those, you know, those nights and weekends. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I strongly believe that, that, uh, that a balance is necessary. Um, we're, we're sort of lucky in our industry where, um, you know, we're, we're in mainly in the construction industry where, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a nine to five, um, typically not working on the weekends. So there's not really a, a huge pull for us in terms of, uh, you know, customers calling us on the weekend. Uh, on the software side, obviously, you know, that, that, you know, that the software industry is, you know, sort of uh, known for uh, sometimes toxic environments where people are working way too much hours. But, but again, I think it's just a core belief of mine that, that there needs to be a balance. And so we, you know, we put that to practice. We, um, you know, I, um, there's a few things that we do in order to, to satisfy that, or at least to sort of promote that. One of the things is we have a, uh, 
every employee is given a, um, a vacation bonus every year and um, they're encouraged to take vacation and um, we actually pay them to do that. And that, that wasn't a, that's not an original idea. It was lifted off of um, the folks over at Basecamp. They have a great book called Rework, I think is the book. Um, and, and they're, they're huge on work-life balance. I've, I've learned some of the practices from them, but um, yeah, so we encourage, uh, you know, time off. We, in our leadership meetings, we often will bring up topics and, you know, talk about things like sleep and exercise and health and things like that. Um, we try not to schedule anything on the nights and the weekends. Um, if there's a question I have, I'll usually throw it out on Slack and I'll say, please don't answer until Monday morning, 8 a.m. So I certainly don't have that expectation that my employees um, work outside of business hours from my perspective. And I hope that that seems to trickle down and, um, you know, sort of is, is ingrained in our culture, but that's definitely something that's important. I think it's paid off because, you know, our employees come in fresh on Monday, they're able to take vacations. There's no stress there. Um, you know, we, we help them with that so that um, when they do go on vacation, you know, the, the money side of things is, a little, is taken care of a little bit. So uh, we really try to sort of internalize that. Um, and I think it's been pretty successful. Well, that, that goes back to what you just mentioned. And of course, we've been discussing is culture. I mean, that's that's to, that's top down. Culture doesn't start from the bottom up. Right. So you're setting a good you're a good tone for that. It's interesting. I worked for a company one time where, you know, you could cash in your vacation. And then uh, then I've worked for companies that said, use it or lose it. Um, we are encouraging you to, you know, go do something and go rest. And, and I think that's that's smart especially in your early years, it's, you know, you want, you want the cash. I, I can't go anywhere anyway, so I'll get the cash. And, and so, but I'm a big uh, proponent of vacations and people resting. And I commend you actually uh, in not looking for responses kind of after hours. I mean, today's technology, right? We're walking around with computers in our pockets and, and, and I'm going to guess you're like me that you tend to look at your phone and check your emails and, it's too easy to respond at night in the morning, uh, you know, weekends. As I was sitting here yesterday, um, working unfortunately on a Sunday, and I got a got a ping from somebody who said, "I assumed you were working today," and I thought, "God, how sad is that that I'm known for sitting, you know, around on either the morning or the afternoon at, at each day on the weekend." So I personally, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your rules and I'm gonna start uh, changing that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I uh, yeah, the, it, it's amazing the the type of behavior from management, you know, in past where it's like use it or lose it, you know, you don't need a vacation. I expect, you know, it's just just so toxic. Um, and um, you know, I think uh, when I, I I look at the PTO balances sometimes, and I'll I'll start harassing people to take time off. You know, look if you can't afford it, that's one thing, and and you know, but but there's always staycations, and you know, it's 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 really about having that balance of of time away. From from work versus, you know, time working on stuff. You know, we just had a, a big project with the software that um, we had a successful deadline we hit with the team and, and um, the, the lead on that took uh, took a week and a half after that uh, to get a break because again, it was a bit of a grind, but um, you know, I think that's, and, and we were all excited for him to get, get a break. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's just part of our culture. And it's, you know, it's, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, I would say that that's, it's important to me, but it's, you know, important to everybody in, in the company. So it sort of resonates and, and permeates and, 
um, stays with us. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I also don't like to call our teammates family. Like you have your family and, and, and your family is, is the most important thing to you. We're, we're, we're your work associates and we love you, but you know, we're not your family. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it kind of, that, that, that sort of perpetuates that culture. Like you should be here instead of home and we're your family and let's, you know, let's have, uh, <laughs> we'll have events and we'll drink beer after work. It's like, no, no, go home, please go to your family. Um, you know, and then there's fo- those folks that, you know, obviously there, there's the outliers that folks that, you know, want to hang out, which is fine. We encourage that as well. But um, for the most part, we try to try to try to keep it uh, strictly during business hours. OK, you know, there's there's obviously as we're we got a lot of stuff going on in the world, a lot of domestic policies. And one of them is the infrastructure plan. Do you do you see that is uh, going to help your industry and, and create opportunities for you? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, so part of our, you know, our customer base is made up of, um, we have uh, municipalities, we have large builders, uh, we have uh, industrial, you know, operators um, that are, you know, they have big industrial plants. Um and so uh, the the portion of uh, you know the infrastructure is probably going to touch the public works side of things. So a lot of uh, public works projects, you know, you're thinking like DOT projects. So that's all you know. That's all kind of our our sweet spot for customers basis. So certainly um, it will help um, you know over the next uh, several years. I think another thing that's that's exciting coming up is the uh, the Olympics 2028, I believe LA. So uh, LA is expected to obviously, um, you know, prepare for that with a lot of infrastructure projects. And so we're, you know, we're hoping to, a lot of our customers will be involved in those. And so we'll be involved in that as well. Um, so yeah, the infrastructure uh, bill that passed, uh, obviously is it, it will be a, a shot in the arm for us and for, for our customers. And, you know, again, it's, um, I think it's important. Um, I would love to see, you know, our, our infrastructure uh, take a leap. Um, we're, I think we're behind the other world. If, if you've done any traveling outside of the, the country, you'll, you, you know that our, our country is behind in terms of infrastructure. So it'd be nice to, uh, to see that finally uh, come to fruition. You know, one of the things uh, you just mentioned, and, and, and I want to go back to the two companies, Incomply and Cloud Comply. So, uh, and, and again, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, I have done some work with you and I appreciate that opportunity. It was, it was a fun project. But Cloud Comply is really a, a national brand. But Incomply is, is more California, right? Because yes. it's physical consulting and things like that. Yes, yes. Is there plans to expand that across the country? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, have, uh, we, we do um, a little bit of work in a few other states, Nevada, Arizona, um, Oregon, Washington, but for the main part, our consulting uh, practices is mainly California. And for reasons, like you said, we have a you know, geographical footprint and it's, it's physical you know, people out on the job. Uh, we mainly do inspection type services, water testing, inspection, report writing. Uh, but yeah, and it, you know, we, part of our, part of our um, we want to become a national brand. And so part of that's, one, that's our, sort of our mission for Incomply. And um, so we are looking at opportunities in, in other states, um, uh, potentially M&A stuff, um, but uh, absolutely uh, part of our plan is to grow that side of the business outside of California. Okay. And so in, in doing those kinds of plans, do you, do you look at obviously where larger metros are um, and kind of growth from an infrastructure standpoint? 
Yeah, we, we've done some market research in, in the past where, you know, we're looking at we're looking at uh, several different factors that, that would benefit, you know, a growth plan for us. One of them is, um, you know, obviously um, uh, building uh, footprint. So how many construction starts um, are you seeing in a particular state? Uh, I think I think Texas has been the leader of that for several years. Um, but then also for us, it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, we're in compliance services. So it's the magnitude of the regulatory frameworks in those states. And so, um, you know, a, a state like Texas, they may not have as much regulatory, uh, you know, requirements as a state like California. So you got to balance that um, and, and kind of look at the two. Um, California is a great, great market for what we do. A lot of building, big footprint, a lot of open land still, and um, our regulatory frameworks are, are fairly stringent here. So it is a good market for compliance. Um, so that that's kind of the lens we look at. Um, so um, you know, you look at a, you know some of the states like Arizona, Nevada, where you where you do have uh, you do have pretty lax regulations. I would say in general, not not necessarily lax, but maybe not quite as um, as uh, as strict as California. But then you know maybe not as much. Um, you know, as much open space or, you know, but, but those states are growing a lot. Um, and so um, then you go up to like Oregon where you have uh, pr pretty stringent requirements, but they have a lot of restrictions on open space and building. And so uh, you kind of balance those things. We look at market and we also look at regulatory framework. Um, obviously we look at competition as well, but that that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty standard across the states. So, so those are the two things we look at. Okay. If you were uh, doing it all over again, today what would you do different oh wow that's a good question um i think um that's a great question um i think i would have focused you know going back to that culture um that culture uh question um it, it's it's taken me uh quite a bit of time to to sort of realize that, that that's the most important thing um, is your people and, and, and you know, getting the right team and, and sort of empowering them. Um, I wish I would have sort of made that personal, you know, sort of uh, evolution a little earlier in my, in my career and in this business. Um, obviously, I don't like to look back and, you know, talk about what ifs, but um, if I had a chance to, you know, sort of do it again, I think certainly would, would really focus on, um, you know, sort of the people aspect, you know, a lot more than, than I did in the early days. In the early days, uh, I hate to say it, but I almost thought of it as, as kind of just, you know, like a, like an expense. Like it was like, I got to get this person as cheap as I can and negotiate mm -hmm. with them and try to <laughs> try to get a, as, as best a salary as I could. And, and, you know, it's um, now it's like, you know, that that's, that's down the list. Um, it's, it's more about cultural fit. So I think I, I wish I would have you know, sort of come to that realization a lot earlier in my career. Um, I think we could have, you know, you get the right people in the right positions and you can really accelerate the business. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's astounding at how much of an impact good employees can make on your business. So I think just understanding that earlier would have been a, a big win for me if I could have done that. <laughs> okay. You know, so the, the concept of the, of the cafe here is, is about business advice and, and learning from, you know, people like you that have grown businesses and had some ups and downs. So if you had, I'll say three or five kind of key lessons that you'd like to tell my listeners as a starting and growing a business, um, what they should, should, they should think about. Oh, that's, that's another good question. Um, I think that as, as an entrepreneur, um, 
you know, you, you really, like you said, you have to do everything. Now you could, you could, if you, if you're, if you're a CFO type, let's say you're a financial person, you could certainly raise, you know, a bunch of money um, and, and hire a staff and, you know, the, those folks can do all those different functional aspects. Um, in terms of if I, you know, I think my advice would be framed in the sense of a, you know, kind of my path where it was a small business where I did everything at first and then sort of uh, slowly work my way out of that. Um, so I would say, just, you know, certainly you have to be comfortable with, with selling. Um, and that's, uh, you know, the first thing that I ever did with my business was I sold a, a job. I got, I got a, got a, a deal, um, you know, and then, then obviously from there, you have to learn how to service that deal. But I think just, uh, you know, taking some sales training in between, um, you know, the two businesses I worked, um, I worked a sales job and I was literally on the floor making hundreds of calls a day. And I, I, I you know, I, I built up some chops in that regard. And so I was comfortable, you know, doing that. Um, I think that's, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to kind of do that, you know, start it on your own, I think, you know, obviously learning sales is a big thing. And then marketing goes with that. Um, I think that's something that people overlook uh, a lot in the early days is, is really being a studious with your marketing efforts and capabilities and, and, and putting resources into that. Um, and so the second thing I think would be to, to, you know, to really invest in marketing, whether that's social or, you know, all the channels that are, that are relatable to your business. Um, you know, third, I think, um, again, just, just good people, uh, you know, uh, figure out what your core values are, figure out what's important to you. Um, if you want to run your business with integrity and great customer service and work-life balance, then, then write that down and, and hire to that. Um, and I, so I think the cultural aspect would be important, but it has to fit. There has to be alignment. You can get a great person uh, that does, you know, but they may not necessarily um, align with your, your, your values. They may be, you know, if, if you're sort of a, maybe a service type business where you're, it's more of a family feel, you may not really fit well with a high performance, you know, salesperson that is always driving. And, you know, that just might not be a good cultural fit, even though that employee may be, you know, excellent at what they do. Uh, so I think, you know, the cultural, you know, make sure that you figure out what your core values are and then sort of hire to that. Um, and then, um, <clears throat> I think lastly, um, you know, maybe my fourth piece would be, you know, um, make sure that you're funded properly. I mean, that's not always a, a, a luxury you can have, but I mean, make sure that, you know, you're set up to, I mean, cash flow is everything with a small business. So, um, whether you, whether it's cash in the bank or, or bank financing or investing, make sure that you have uh, proper capital, um, you know, hire a financial a CPA, you know, someone that can, help you with the cash flow aspect of it because that's really, you know, cash is king. They say that for a reason, um, you know, that's everything. And so making sure that your business is funded properly, uh, you know, there's nothing that's more detrimental than, than that stress of worrying about, you know, whether the bills are going to be paid or not. So if you can eliminate that and, and have a good sort of financial position, again, it's not always a, a luxury that you can have. I mean, I certainly didn't have that in the beginning um, until the business was established and we had a few years under our belt banks, wouldn't work with us, but ultimately, um, <clears throat> you know, that's an, a really important thing because that, that removal, again, we talk about balance, that removal of that stress of worrying about the cash flow, mm -hmm. uh, you know, will really allow you to accelerate in other areas uh, because as we know, uh, stress is very taxing on the body and the, on the mental aspect. And so I would say, make sure your cash flow is in order. That would be a really important one. Okay. You know, one of the things I, I was taught earlier on in sales is that I can't take it personally. Right. 
And, and as soon as you do, then you get that defeatist attitude. And, and <laughs> you know, people you're calling, they don't know you. It can't be personal, right? It's just they're not interested or, you know, whatever the timing's wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's always something I like to say. But I, I wanted to ask, when, when you're doing your planning, you're doing, you know, business planning, it, are you on an annual basis, a quarterly basis? Uh, you know, what's your cadence for, for planning? Because I, you know, I, I hear a lot of times, oh, we're going to have our annual planning meeting. And my thought is, well, if you're only doing it once a year, then you're going to have some problems, right? So uh, what's your cadence for planning? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So um, we, uh, so obviously we have to prepare, um, you know, an annual plan where we will establish our goals and, you know, the business goals, the bank wants to see that, um, obviously. So, um, so our cadence typically will start to look at that um, around the um, start of uh I'd say end of Q3, start of Q4, so September, October-ish. Uh, that's when we're starting to uh, build out our, our plan because we have enough data from you know, the current year. We're nine months into the current year to know if we're going to hit plan for you know, the current year. And so we're able to sort of project forward and, and look at the next year. Um, you know, I haven't always been the best uh, you know, disciplined about getting the plan out on by the first, so there may be a couple of years where <laughs> pushed out plan in February or January. Uh, but, but like the last couple of years, we've been really good about it. Um, I work, uh, our, our CFO, Mike Sisk is fantastic. So we, we, we start to dig into that in September, October. Um, I, I, I really involve the team a lot more now. So we'll, we'll have, I think we typically will have a strategic meeting around the October timeframe and I'll sort of bounce the budget off of them and get their feedback. Um, I, you know, decision-making for me, I, I, I typically will, I move pretty slow with decision-making. I know some people, you know, they say, oh, you got to be, you know, make decisions quickly and stick with them. And that's the way to be. I, I, I disagree. I like to, I like to, um, you know, kind of roll into my decisions and, and really take as much input as I can from my surroundings, my, my staff, um, my advisors, and, and, you know, kind of think on it for a couple of weeks and just really kind of, you know, look at the data and also look at those gut feelings, those, those sort of internal, which are just as powerful sometimes as data. And, um, you know, so I, I, again, I work on plan for about two months and then we finally, um, you know, lay it out and that's, that's sort of what it is. So we try to get that published around December one. So it's ready for the, for the banks and it's, um, you know, it's there, you know, obviously we can, we can distill that down to the staff and talk about different goals and such. Um, but, but on top of that, you know, obviously we're doing, um, you know, we do strategic planning every quarter with our staff, with these leadership meetings. So, so there's that as well. Um, and so, um, and then we'll typically do like a strategic meeting um, once, uh, we'll, we'll do it around that sort of uh, fall time period where we're looking at what are the strategic goals of the business. And then, then we, I can also use that to tie into the financial plan. So, so I'd say we have typically, it, it, you know, it's sort of a couple month process and we do an annual plan um, from that. But there is a lot more sort of in a quarterly type um, time frames when we look at plan, but, but in terms of like publishing a, a singular plan. Sure. Year. Okay. Well, fantastic. Hey, Jason, this has been, this has been great. A lot of, a lot of great insights and, and certainly, uh, first of all, congratulations at 10 plus years and, and growing your businesses. And, and again, I, I can be empathetic back in 2008 and nine with you on, uh, on, on business at that point in time in life. 
Um, so why don't you take a minute and, and tell the audience how they can connect with you if they, if they want to have a chat. I want to learn more about your, you know, cloud comply or in comply and um, I'll let you take it. Yeah, that, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my, my email, the uh, best way to reach me is my is email jason at cloud comply. That's C-L-O-U-D-C-O-M-P-L-I.com. Uh, you can take a look at our website uh, and then incomply is the same spelling, I-N-C-O-M-P-L-I.com. But again, if you'd like to reach me, uh, email is always best, jason at cloudcomply.com. would love to chat, um, certainly learn about your business if, um, if you want to chat about that. But I'm always open for questions and um, connecting with new people. So I think I'm on LinkedIn too. So you know, reach, reach out to me there, Twitter, Jason Lachlan. I don't do too much on Twitter, but <laughs> we got to have the channels. We don't necessarily do anything with them, but we got to have them, right? <laughs> well, Jason, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and I know my my uh, listeners will find your uh, insights invaluable. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Jason, thank you again for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe today. What a great conversation and a journey. I mean, we have worked together for, I don't know, six, seven months now, and I didn't really understand a lot of that history. So it was fascinating to listen to it and to kind of dig into it. And, you know, a lot of great lessons for my listeners, and I, and I know they're going to benefit from that. And I really appreciate it. If this is your first time, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode as they we do them on a, basically a weekly basis. And if this is your first time or you're a loyal listener, I encourage you to go to your favorite podcast platform, give us a rating, give us a comment, and tell your friends about it. As we look to 2022, we are in our fourth year, so there's a lot of great shows you can go back to and listen to. And as I always say at the end, join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture, realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit craftmarketingandbranding.com. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.